Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So this is the sixth class in this series on the Terragatha and the Terragatha. They are, they are the, uh, these are the preserved uh, poems of awakened monks and nuns. And so none of these are meant to be complete teachings in the Dhamma. Really what they are are um, a really beautiful and poignant description of the quality of mind that these awakened monks and nuns have developed. And they do it, you know, they, de- they describe that quality of mind very eloquently and very simply. And then some of these actually do include um, a bit of instruction. Um, this one is Upakala defeats Mara. So we've learned that any reference to a non-physical being or non-physical establishment uh, is simply metaphor for different qualities of mind. And so Mara is always the metaphor that the Buddha uses throughout his teaching for the results of ignorance. So when we're referring to Mara in the suttas, we're referring to this uh, seemingly iconic quality of mind, an almost monolithic quality of mind, seems real, but it's not. It's just a, a figment of our imagination. And in Mara's sense, what the Buddha is describing is the collective ignorance, isn't he? This, this monolithic thing that then became, um, that was myth becoming reality during the Buddhist time and even today. I mean, today, Mara is is treated almost like, um, uh, given Christian connotations, isn't it? Like, almost like Lucifer. It's it's the it, Lucifer is the counter to, to God's goodness. Mara is a counter to the Buddha's or, or the understanding goodness. And of course, it's, as the Buddha teaches us, all of that is speculative. All of it is a fabrication. None of it is me. And so this is Upakala describing the recognition that that Mara is me and how he defeated it. And it's such an important teaching, but very simple and very direct. And he, he shows this, excuse me, he shows this development of the Dhamma by understanding, as he describes here, wasn't his entire teaching, but describing three very important and key understandings. So Upakala says, Established in mindfulness, having developed right view, again, the prerequisites, right? I have entered the peaceful state of which those ignorant of fortune. <laughs> Bodhi! Come on, you're messing up my teaching. Come over here, you bad dog. Sit down. Go ahead. Go get the paddle. Trying to get whacked. What's the matter with you today? Let me start again. I'm sorry. Why don't you lay down here? Come on. Lay down. Come on, puppy. Come on. Come on, go ahead. Go ahead, lay down. Is, is Bodhi your worst behaved student? Yeah, he, he's the worst dog I ever had in my life. Oh, there, was that the question? <laughs> like that. He's just awful. When I'm off camera, he'll get a good beating. <laughs> he's got me so he, he knows. <laughs> Come on, folks, give me a break. He's a good boy. Getting old. Let me Please let me start again. Established in mindfulness, having developed right view, I have entered the peaceful state of which those ignorant of four truths cannot enter. Mara. 
his mind. Ignore those truths and enjoy sensual pleasure. Delight in sensual pleasure. Don't later burn with regret over the things we might list, lose, missed. Upakala is reminding himself, one who gives birth to ignorance, clinging to impermanence, clinging to ignorant views of self, suffers and can only suffer more. The rightly self-awakened one, he's referring to himself, has defeated Mara. He taught me his Dhamma, referring to Siddhartha, for the cessation of ignorance, the cessation of fabrications. He, meaning the Buddha, taught me the Eightfold Path for the final cessation of suffering. I heard the great teacher's words, and I am delighted in his biding. Insight into the three marks is known. That's all that he needed to gain insight in. I have done what must be done. Again, gaining insight into the three marks. Craving has ended. Darkness is overcome. Then he declares to himself again. And we should have this same declaration. Know this evil one. Mara, you have been defeated. I, when I, I feel, I feel like, you know, drop the mic. I feel like slamming it down because that's the end. The drop the mic moment. Mara has been defeated. So, have you defeated Mara yet, Dev? No, certainly not. Oh, what the hell is taking you so long? <laughs> What's wrong with you? How are you, my friend? Good, good. Well, what do you think you got left? How's that for English? It's just, uh, um, now that I can recognize my eye making, I can, I can still see how it's in play. Does that bother you? No, because, uh, you know, like over the past, over the past year, I, I've seen progress. If I, if I hadn't seen progress, I, I might be frustrated, but I've seen yeah. progress, so. Not, I wouldn't say just progress. I would say great breakthroughs of understanding, as the Buddha describes, including this. So you now you know that those things that are vexing you in your mind, Upakala teaches us that it's just Mara. You know, it's, it's like foam on the ocean. It's just a fabrication. About eight. And you're finding that out in yourself. You're finding those things that you used to believe are monolithic beliefs we're nothing once you recognize them and abandon them, correct? There's one monolith left. What's that? that? Well, no, it's just, uh, you know, just my, uh, part of my personal story, I guess. I guess, like, there's a, there, there is an aspect of um, my eye-making that started when I was, uh, like, as far as I can remember, when I was two. Yeah. And yeah, that's pretty good. I, I go back to, I think, three, but <laughs> it's all yeah. kind of a guess. Yeah, so, um, that's, I guess, like, that, that's the one, that's the one I'm, you know, I'm drilling down on. Yeah, so that, that one, that, that Deb that got hurt in some way and began conditioning his mind is right here, right now. Everything you've ever been, everything you've ever done is culminating in this moment. That's the true teaching on, or partial teaching on karma. So what that means is that hurt that that little boy felt that started conditioning his mind is what you've been carrying with you your whole life now until your, your advanced years. And so as I say, 
as the Buddha teaches, awakening means gain full, full human maturity. It is a way of not, not so much as healing that, you know, you used to talk about the, the healing the inner child. It's not so much healing that, that little dev. It's, in fact, that dev can't be healed, that too. But dev can be healed now. And, not, and it's not really healing. It's simply recognizing that none of that is you. And that all of those things are affecting you right here and right now. So what does that mean? It's this mind that you're working with, Dev, not that. You can't get resolution for, you know, something that happened that many years ago or let the last five minutes. It's right here. It's right now. And so then that resolves itself. To, how am I going to treat myself? How am I going to think about myself in this moment? You know, so what do you, what do you want to hold in mind about you? That there's something that you need more of or less of? that you're not good of, or good enough, or that right here in this moment, you're living your life. And it's not good or bad. It's just obvious, isn't it? There's no merit here. There's no ignorance. There's nothing for you to defeat. Just this. Are you getting gaining an understanding of that? Yeah, I am. Have you had the experience of that quite a few times, I would say? Yeah. I think I've <laughs> talked to you about that. Yeah. yeah, and on retreat, to I would say, I, I think you talked to just about everyone, basically about just this. This is what the retreat was about. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that experience of having, having uh, the filter of all that I'm making removed, and then what's, like, like what's left is just an awe of what's around you. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, but then also, even when there's not awe, there's all there, there's there, there's um just being okay with what is. Yeah, you know? which is yeah, which so is a that, rather awe-filled moment when you can do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just like the retreat. I mean, you could say that the retreat for most of us was an awe-filled moment. That's what it's yeah. like. You know, we were we were. We were generating within us that that kind of um, <laughs> awakened, not woke, awakened energetic, and that's what it feels like. It's awe inspiring. You know, we were all we were inspired by going down to the pond. It wasn't that, or some of us, it wasn't that that pond was so magical. It was because of the setting it became so magical, wasn't it? Or even a, a plate of food, or you know, one of the trees around us, or each other. That's why we we we. Um, structure our retreats that way so we all have the opportunity to experience you know even if it's just a glimpse of what it feels like but for most of it it's, it was you know an, an ongoing experience of that I notice you walking yeah. around with a pretty big smile on your face Dev but usually yeah <laughs> yeah um, yeah I, I, uh, I put a lot of thought into um, the the, the impression of the structure of the retreat in, in general, yeah. including what you're, you know, what, what you're referring to, but also um, the structure of the day. Yeah. Because I'm, you know, I live on my own and um, I'm not working, so uh, it's it's not the easiest to to uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Schedule your day so you can do that yourself, Deb. You know, you don't have to have a um, a task to complete, meaning a job, 
But you can, you know, whatever time you think it would be best for you to wake up, and then maybe even if it's just a mundane task, it, it would it would build you immediate structure. You know, get yourself Google Calendar, put put breakfast, lunch, dinner, or maybe, you know, meeting with Tom, meeting with John, Dhamma class, all that stuff. Just you build it in your own head. I do that. I, I schedule every day of my life because it's just, you know, I, it's I know what I'm doing. Today I had to adjust my schedule throughout the day, but it, you know, because I got it delayed at a doctor's appointment. But you know, if if you find structure meaningful to you, create it. I, I found it, yeah, I found it very helpful. Yeah. Um, just like even just uh, um, the scheduled meals, uh, I, I yep. noticed what I usually what I usually do on my own is I I just don't eat until six p.m. Yeah, and and then when I when I do uh, when I do eat, um, I get really drowsy afterwards. Yeah. It's like it's a yeah, it's like as if I just ate a Thanksgiving dinner, and I didn't feel I didn't feel that at all at the retreat. And uh, you yeah. know, it's it's um, there's much more significant uh, things to to. Uh, think about but it's but even even small things like that you know it's uh, the small things that we build the big things on it really is yeah. you know yeah. so yeah I, if you feel like you've, you've been lacking structure just build it for yourself it doesn't take a job or a commitment just you know it's your life structure it as you will yeah sort of take my um take uh my like my daily life the, the way i go about it seriously yeah and why wouldn't you yeah. now i mean yeah right it's your life yeah make what make of it what you want dharma teacher tom what do you have to say about the uh about dev's share and then uh what do you think about today's class yeah i was i was what i was wanting to ask you like did you like what what do you notice about the contrast between uh you know your daily experience at the retreat and and then you know back to your normal life was that to Tom or to me? Tom. Yeah. Um, first of all, I really agree on the, the importance of structure in your day. Um, it's, and sometimes the, if you don't have a lot on in your day, it can be the, the opportunity to sort of purposefully create your day is yeah. even better right it's it's it, there's you have this amazing opportunity to structure a day as you wish yep. at the same time i understand it can be more difficult right because you kind of um it's not more difficult but it's it has to actually be done because if you if you have a job or whatever or if you have a busy day the structure is kind of created for you um whereas yeah. your situation it's it, you don't have that and mo- most people don't think about structuring their day just because it's done for them um, but yeah, I think it's, it is really, really important. Um, I, there's even some books, Dev, that might be helpful on that. Like, um, there's a book I read called The Power of Habit, which um, is, it's not Dharma at all, but it is all about habit creation and how to create habits and set habits. We can't talk about anything but the Dharma. I'm just kidding. That's a good, you're bringing up a good point. It's got nothing to do with the Dharma and it might be useful. It might be useful. Because it's, it, I found it quite useful because it's a way of thinking about how you can make the Dharma more of a habit, right? Um, so, 
Um, for me, it's actually been, it hasn't been my most, I was saying this to, to John a little bit earlier before you jumped on, it hasn't been my most settled of weeks. So it's actually been quite difficult in a way. I feel that I've had like um, a, a, it's the contrast coming back from, you know, having been on this quiet retreat and then suddenly I'm, I'm in a kind of a hostel place here in some quite grotty area of New York and everything's busy and, you know, and I don't have my home comforts. So my mind is not as settled as you might think it would be. It was very settled on retreat. Um, and yet, I still have the practice and I still am able to come back to the practice. So I'll give you a little example. I, I woke up this morning quite early and I had a bit of um, compulsive thinking in my head. And then rather than following it for, you know, half an hour and just getting lost in this thought, I suddenly had this realization like, wait, I don't need to, you know, I'm just creating this suffering myself to my eye making. Um, and so little things like that, which happen quite regularly now, um, for me, I'm able to sort of interrupt that compulsive thinking. Um, yeah, which again, coming back to what you were both saying earlier, um, I think Dev, you said, um, I'm making small progress or something like that. And then John, you said, but with big, um, insight, insight, big insight. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And, and those two things, at least from my experience, can very much coexist. Yeah. Like, if I look at my own practice, I've I've got the benefit of having these insights now, which is what we all studied over the last few days on the retreat. And these insights are life changing. Yeah. And it took, I think, quite a lot of suffering for me to be subjected to in order to realize the you know to come to those insights um wait wait so to, did you say contemplate insights no to come to those insights okay like, to, to, to to look for them and recognize their importance exactly to look for them it took the suffering so i definitely look at the suffering i've had in my life as the reason why i've come to this amazing wisdom then once you've um discovered these insights which i think Dev, we both have it's not then that your entire world, I mean, it's, it's turned upside down in one sense in that you have these insights, which is awesome. But then in terms of actually chipping away at your own personality and character and habit, that is a very <clears throat> gradual process, I find. So I've made, just like you, Deb, I've made um, small progress, but small progress over a consistent period of time, which ends up becoming actually quite significant progress. But but, always, only, but a year and a half. It wasn't like uh, it's not a lifetime practice, or it doesn't require it for most of us. Exactly. I mean, there's definitely a massive, noticeable difference in the last few years. Yeah. Um, but each day is kind of you're chipping away at it. I almost see. Um, yeah. And you're getting a little bit more. You're gradually forming better habits. You're gradually sort of interrupting your mind, and you're interrupting that eye, eye making. Um, just like, as I said, I did this morning when I, when I woke up. So would you say, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you're, but you're coming up. I think you're giving Dev such a a great insight. Never actually everybody was going to hear this. Would you say, (coughs) excuse me, 
And I'm just going from my own very, very poor memory and really not even paying that much attention to it. But would you say it was about maybe six months in before you started really realizing that this was something you could do and develop in a reasonably reasonable amount of time? Yeah. Um... So right after, in that point, was an important aspect of your practice, or you never would have got past it, correct? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So there's, 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 I don't know exactly, honestly, how many months. Yeah, I don't either. It's, um, there was definitely the instant realization once I had been exposed to the teachings of like, hey, this makes sense, this speaks truth to me. But then in terms of actually integrating it into my life, it's been a process of, and maybe it was after a few months, I think it was after a few months that I was like, hey, this, this is starting to work. Yeah. And then time and then I suddenly look back and I've, I've said this to friends even again outside of the Dharma I've said to friends you know I've never been calmer and more at peace nowadays than, uh, yeah, than it ran at yeah. any stage in my life yeah. so then you start to like hey okay that's real progress now yeah. because you know externally or outwardly my life doesn't necessarily look any better or any different but internally it looks you know, and the, the way I feel which yeah. is everything or, or the way I the way I engage with the world is is remarkable a much so, deeper level of calm absolutely yeah um, which is what all that Siddhartha promised us if we do this we'll get that just like that exactly yeah. I, uh, I, I was chasing exuberance for most of my life yeah chasing pleasure yeah me too Always. It always had to be peak. I mean, I had a teacher, a teacher that I came across through books. His name was Abraham Maslow, who was very, very famous in the 60s and 70s. And he, he, he basically said, you should always be chasing after peak experiences, is how he described that. Because, and the only reason he said it is because those are most satisfying. And if you can satisfy yourself, then you'll stop doing it. But of course, he's missing that component that most people, know, like me, are never satisfied. You know, I mean, if I could drink 12 bottles of vodka a day at one point, I would, but it would kill me. And I, again, just as, an, as a, um, just to make the point, human beings are insatiable, you know. So it the, also misses, uh, it misses the um, learning how to be able to sit with yourself when yeah. you're miserable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think it also takes the pressure off, again, if I had come from the retreat maybe a few years ago and without having you know doing a different retreat or without having this wisdom i might have been a bit frustrated with this week not feeling you know my mind hasn't been as settled coming back into the wider world yeah Yeah. knowing that you don't need to feel exuberance the whole time right it's normal i mean feelings do fluctuate you know recreating that feeling of being on retreat is going to be difficult once you're off retreat you won't i should have said that i usually do (laughs) Uh, and so it's also not taking that personally, right? And, yeah. Um, being able to sort of accept, just as John says, you know, at the end of notice the, notice the quality of your mind and just, just be at peace with it. Yeah. Um, and on retreat, you can actually have that experience more so than out here. The main reason we go away on retreat. So you can have it, so your teacher can say, look at it, recognize it, you know, and you can recreate it. Yeah. Oh, actually... Uh, so I, I have a question about that uh, uh, for you, Tom, about um, Come here. Like, Come here. just 
Sit down. Be done a little while. From your experience at the retreat back to your normal life. Um, I, but I used to wonder, do you let that uh, inform you of um, maybe like how how you need to uh, change your your lifestyle as a whole in in order to mm-hmm. eat, right and, and but then um, I sort of partly came up with a guess as to what your answer would be, which is um, that uh, like your work, you probably find meaningfulness in your work. And so necessarily, uh, you know, uh, having to engage with that maybe requires that you make that you make a compromise to your um, yeah, to to your lifestyle in such a way that you know that doesn't yeah in such a way that that it, it, it's that it, it, it doesn't let you sort of exist like you did in a retreat uh, if that makes sense yeah it does like so i think first Good of all the, the things i've noticed are that have actually disturbed my mind state a little bit this week some of them are within my control you know like when I was on retreat, I was hardly ever checking my phone. I mean, I didn't even connect it. That made a map, and that's a real insight for me, you know, whereas sometimes here, I I think we all do. It, you, we, we get so easily caught up in whatever it is that our phone's trying to distract us with. So I do get insights and things that I haven't, I still need to sort of address. Um, and, you know, I was actually sort of reflecting on it yesterday about ways in which I can guarantee that I have certain hours of the day where I'm not checking my phone. Good. I think that really helped me, at least it did for me. Um, in terms of my business, it's also a good question. I think I think it, it can be a dis- I really enjoy my work and I want to make sure that I continue to enjoy it. But I don't want it to be a distraction. I don't really want to have a compromise, ideally. Because if I do, then I'm you know, it could be quite easy to get more into like a savior kind of complex, right? Where you, you sort of chase things through work and that your work is giving you your meaning and impact and this, that, this, that, and the other. Um, so there is a bit of a danger, especially in the kind of work I do because it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's, you're helping people. Yeah, and of course that's great. And it's not it's not to be it's not to be stopped, right? And I enjoy it most importantly. I I opportunity to be creative and connect to people and blah blah blah. But yeah, I think it's it's a good it's a good question. I don't I don't want that to take priority over the Dharma. That's that's the key thing. And I don't want it to be a distraction yeah. from the Dharma because then you do end up getting confused. And I as, as I said in my the, the class I taught last weekend, um, you know one of the first things I did in my life when I figured out I wanted to change something was to change my job and think that I would get meaning and purpose through just changing my job from something that was just about money to something about about creating impact. And although that did help, it didn't solve the eye-making in my head. And so that's why I, the change that's happened through the Dharma is a lot more significant for me on a personal level than that. 
Yeah, that could be a, a just a, a what do they call it in the building when you're out looking for a job? It could, it's just the same level of distraction in that case. You know, it's just substituting one ideological job. This is a job that fits me to that one that fits me. And even our jobs, they, we should be impersonal. Even this job, I hope I treat it impersonally. But it's the most important thing in my life, isn't it? You know? yeah. And as soon as I stop taking it, or as soon as I start taking it personally, I'm no longer an effective Dhamma teacher. You know, that's one of the reasons why we have training. Uh, I've never turned anybody down now. Uh, I mean, saying that they either weren't, didn't have the qualifications or didn't develop it enough, but it may come up, you know, it may come up that a teacher has to first and foremost recognize an abandoned eye making. So Deb, let me, let me put you on a spot and Tom, what do you think of that teaching you just got from this guy, this rookie? Um, you mean from Upa? No, I'm talking to Dev. About, um, about Mara? No, just what, what Tom has taught you so far, shared with you. It's probably unfair to put you both on that spot, but there you are. Um, yeah, I'm processing because I, I was just—I was just thinking. I was sort of comparing what you just said, Tom, to um, one of my first memories that I have of you, which is uh, you asking about, um, if, like, if if something about your if you something something along the lines of your practice informing you of uh, whether you should live in a city or not because of the, the noise of the city and I remember uh, yeah I just remember you saying that and, and that's like a that, that's a thought I've had all my life you know just uh, yeah and yeah I don't know that, that, that's It's a real consideration. Dev lives in a city as well. Just, just across the river from you. Bodhi, come here. Come here. Come here. Probably, probably like an hour away from you. So. Are you, uh, you also in New Jersey, Dev? Yeah, Jer- Jersey City. I'm like, uh, like, uh, it's like, it takes like an hour for me to get to Queens. Yeah, yeah but you're 10 miles apart, probably. A lot of people, a lot of New Yorkers make fun of people from New Jersey, huh? That's what I've been realizing. Yeah, that's, it. that's where the most ignorant people are. <laughs> I was trying to stick up for you guys. <laughs> people always make fun of them. That's why I left. I know you can't make fun of me from being a New Jerseyan. I'm one of those hicks in Pennsylvania now. There you go. Well, I, 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 we, I do got to get... Uh, Get going a little bit. Tom, what do you think about today's class? Just real quickly. Not, not, don't just, rush it. Um, again, what I, what I took from it was um, just the that, that sort of um, the Mara is it's that little voice in your head yeah. that's Ways challenging the wisdom, right? And saying, oh, I don't know, you know, do it, chase this, chase that. Um, And so, yeah, it's a, it's a gradual, it's not for me a process of sort of, um, 
killing Mara all in one, you know, full swoop and then being done with it. Yeah. It's a case of yeah. gradually quietening Mara, if you like. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I do. I do notice definitely progress. Even this week, um, I've noticed progress in that on that front. So that's been it's been good. But yeah, yeah not there yet. Just like they've got a lot, a lot more Mara to deal with still. Well, we we have Mara. That you know, a lot more, a little more doesn't matter. You're on the right path. You, you've taken refuge. You understand it, and you know it. So Mara is is the manifestation. It's good to see it this way in my mind of anything that is contrary to the eightfold path. And the same is true for the world. So if I am understanding my own Mara, now I can understand my neighbor's Mara, but also the collective Mara that I talked about and happened to bring up on the retreat that gets some people agitated. But when you see ideological um, people screaming at the top of their lungs, or maybe even not so much at the top of their lungs, but whatever, however they do it and their, their protestations about how awful either the conditions are or certain people are, we also recognize that there's an element of Mara in there because what it's one thing for me to be against something, it's another thing for me to recognize something. And through the Dhamma, we're able to, to differentiate that. For most people, it's almost impossible for you to recognize something that is so-called bad and not think that you should do something about it because you are also a savior. And all of that, again, not to get too long of a class, but all of that is rooted in self-loathing. That I have to keep fixing this broken self, and if it's not me, it's broken out there, and so I'll fix you instead. Uh, which is where all saviors are born in, in that ide- ideology. Um, that, again, creates so much stress and suffering for the world, but we're, we're out of all of it. But it's important to recognize that while we're out of it, it's easy to get drawn into it and think that there's something to do. So I mentioned this on retreat, and then we're going to end with that, like, this teacher of mine, Arnold Patton, you can look him up, he's a good guy. Uh, he said, if, if you ever feel this strong, strong urge to get up and do something, he said, sit down. In fact, he would often say, sit your ass down. And if his wife wasn't there, he would say something else. But the point was, if you really feel stressed out that you got to accomplish something, or you're in a crowd that, in, that is insisting that you be stressed out to be a part of them, stop. Because it's, it's, a, it's a sure sign that you might get yourself in trouble but at the very least, least, it's a sure sign that you should take a breath and reevaluate. But it's it's just the way it is. That's what we learned in this lesson about Mara. It's in here, but it can also join with that Mara that's out there very easily. What are you going to say, Dev? I, I think I, I had I discussed with you yesterday having just that moment in in retreat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, because, yeah, it, it, and it was a uh, it was a moment where. I felt that I that what I had to say, what I wanted to add to the conversation was was uh, would have been very helpful, you know. But it, it just wasn't going to happen, and and then just noticing um, the stress that the uh, the eagerness of it was was causing. Yeah, it's, I thought it, it, it like it just occurred to me maybe I just address that. You know, instead of the, you know, what it was I, I was intending to do, it's like maybe I just control. Like, let me let me address the the, the eagerness of that. Yeah, yeah. And you felt even the eagerness was was an agitation, was it? The, you had you had to get this out now. You had to be instead of what I think you did is you took a breath. 
in yeah. breath and out breath, and that was the end of it. Yeah, and it, it, like it also it also makes you very uh, uh, narrow minded in, in that moment. Yeah, yeah. like you're not very narrow minded. The only thing that matters in the world, isn't it? So um, we got to end. I got a little bit of a busy day coming up, um, and I want to finish a talk I had with with Tom earlier. Dev, if you want to talk later, um, give me a buzz around seven or after. I think I should be done with what I got ahead of me. We'll see. (laughs) Excuse me. But we'll finish with meta as we always do. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. In the Buddha's words on metta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows a path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state, Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding the fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you both for a wonderful class today. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.